Welcome back to What Do You Want to Watch, the show hosted by myself, Nathan English, and David Dirks. And it, we're talking about it again. Sorry. It, another episode of House of the Dragon came out. David and I are going to be recapping it just a little bit. We'll do a, a shallow recap. Then we got another fantasy show coming out. The Rings of Power is dropping on Amazon Prime this week. So we're going to be previewing that. And finally... We're going to get a little movie talk again. David and I are going to talk about some of our best watches of the past week. All that coming up on this episode. Come on. All right. House of the Dragon, episode two, The Rogue Prince. Just to give a summary of what happened. Obviously, spoilers are ahead. If you have not seen this episode and are planning on watching the show, there's going to be spoilers for this episode in this conversation, so skip that part of this episode. Uh, so, The Rogue Prince, episode two, we jumped six months in time from the events at the end of episode one. We catch up. We know that Damon has taken over Dragonstone, even though Rhaenyra has been named Princess of Dragonstone and kind of defiance of the king. In this episode, he steals a dragon egg. Viserys chooses to marry Alicent Hightower, even though that is not considered the strongest match and is something it seems like he's doing more for, I don't know if love is the correct word, but definitely more for for maybe lust is, is better than, than probably what would be considered the politically smart move. And then we have the crab feeder. We see him in all of his... I don't know, almost Leatherface horror villain glory at the end Crab, of this episode. His crabness. Yeah, and we we are teased and will likely be getting a team up of Damon and Lord Corliss Valerion in mm. the future. David, how did you feel about episode two? Oh, I loved it. I uh, as far as as far as like speed of the episode, it was pretty pretty similar to the first one, I think. Uh, but I don't think that bothered me. I think I was still like getting to know this world and the characters, um, and and I, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the the pace of this second episode. Um, first of all, I think the first thing that needs to be mentioned, for me at least, is the dragons look so good. They do look really good. We specifically saw a close up uh, on this bridge scene in this second episode, and they just look so good. I just had mm-hmm. we just got to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, let's just do that now then. Let's jump into the bridge showdown, which I think is easily the highlight of this episode. So, you know, Otto Hightower is sent by the king who originally planned to go himself to confront Damon, who had stolen a dragon egg um, and is claiming that he is going to marry, take a second wife, and that she is with child so that he needs to have a dragon egg in the child's crib as is tradition in the Targaryen family. And Otto goes to stop it, and Otto is hopelessly outmatched. But oh, through yeah. the fog, mm. we see Rhaenyra rise <laughs> on the back of Xerxes, her dragon, and it was it, it's just such a good scene. She essentially taunts Damon and says, You're you're doing all this because you want to be heir. Fine, you know how to do that. Kill me. Get rid of me. Kill right me. His face. Do it. Yeah. Just kill me. And then you can be heir. But she knows Damon won't do it because Damon has a soft spot for her. Uh, it's just so good. That was my favorite scene. David, what did you love about that? Um, kind of what I mentioned, just the the drag, the, the, the immense detail in the dragons. Because they, you know, sometimes, whether it be the Game of Thrones or even um, other shows with a CGI character like that, whether it be uh, dim lighting or through rain or fog or a quick 
kind of glance of it, if it's the CGI is not the greatest, right? They do it. They, they tease you. So you can't really tell that mm-hmm. it's, that it's not maybe up to par. Dude, mm-hmm. there was a shot. They sat on this dragon close up for maybe 10 to 20 seconds and you could just see the detail, the scales and, and everything. And yeah. And I was just blown away because it just looks so good. And, uh, I mean, I love my, my second thing. I just really like Damon Targaryen. He's just a stud, and we've talked about this. He's going to do something pretty terrible that I won't want to love him anymore, but he's just so B.A., and he's, I just he, kind of want to cheer for him, you know? He just ha- he just exudes this bravado that is, like, it's magnetic. Whether you want to like him or not, he's just so suave and cool in moments, but also, like, it, it that makes it all the more satisfying when things happen, like whenever he he's talking to... Christian Cole, the guy who bested him in the tournament in the first episode, and he like calls him Sir Crispin to like kind of try to mock him a little bit, and then he's like, "Sorry, I was having trouble remembering." And Sir Christian Cole is like, "Yeah, did you have trouble remembering when I knocked you off your horse?" Like that, <laughs> it makes it like all the more satisfying when he gets knocked down a peg too, which is why the yeah. Rhaenyra conversation was so good. Uh, yeah. The 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 thing that I really really want to talk about here is I know people will have a problem with all the political movering and, and, and that I I've seen some people feel like there's not, a, there's not levity in the show that there was with game of Thrones. There's no comedic characters and that a lot of this is dense political drama, but that's what I'm here for personally. And I wanted to get your take on that. How are you feeling about the majority of the show so far, just being them talking about politics and establishing the politics of Westeros at that time and discussing and maneuvering around that. Isn't that what like Game of Thrones is? I feel like right. I feel like the Game of Thrones show was politics and war. Like we got politics like at King's Landing and uh, at Winterfell and, and at the Wall and the politics of what to do and who to accept and but then besides that we got these just gory battle scenes or these you know these these hard to believe like moments of like the red wedding stuff like that so i feel like that's what like game of thrones is is this political like match of of who's going to get the throne and how can i outsmart outsmart my enemy and my opponent so that, i i thought that's kind of what it was you know mm-hmm. yeah i i would agree uh i i that's what i wanted from this show um you know, that's that's the thing that's interests me. I want to see people maneuvering behind the scenes. I want to to see the power games being played. And this episode was a lot about power games, specifically about a surrounding Viserys marriage, um, eventual marriage. That that whole plot was about power games and Hightower trying to assume power and, and Lord Corliss trying to strengthen his power and and sure it up. And I, I I enjoy that. I think that that's part of the show is interesting. Uh I want to know one thing that I'm really sad about with this show. And that is that specifically the actress Millie Alcock, who plays young Rhaenyra Targaryen, will be phased out. We know this already. We know that they're going to do a time jump. They've already announced the cast for the older versions of both her and Alicent. Um, and she's just so good. She she has been so good in these first couple of episodes, and I don't know how because we just did a six month time jump between episodes. I don't know if we're gonna do year time jump in the next couple, but I would imagine that about halfway through the season we're probably going to transition. Yeah, um, that that was my question. Do we do we know when that older cast kind of steps in? 
I think people are there. There's people who have obviously read the novels and I haven't, and I'm interested to, but I'm not going to, cause I don't want to spoil the show for myself, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, that say that they expect with the, that with all the stuff that they have to set up that about the mid season point of season one is when they're going to transition to the older cast members. Um, and I don't know if they're going to use flashback sequences in the future episodes to keep those actors, but I'll just say that, while Matt Smith is getting a lot of praise and deservedly so, Millie Alcock is fantastic mm-hmm. in, in her role yeah. as well. And I'm going to be yeah, really disappointed when she goes. And Emma DRC, the the actor who's playing the older version of Princess Rhaenyra, will have large shoes to fill, uh, ironically, whenever she takes over, which is, I, I'm sure is a challenging thing as an actor as well, coming in in the same show in the same season and having to take over a role um, is not going to be easy, but. I'm excited for that somewhat, yeah. but I just wanted to highlight her real quick. Yeah. Well, and I think it's cool. I mean, it's been two episodes. So when I say finally, it's not been that long of a wait. But I also thought it was cool that we got to see Rhaenyra and Viserys have that kind of heart to heart that they've been like building up to. And they're both were able to like talk to each other. And it's almost like you got like a, a, a breath of relief of like, ah, oh, finally, they're like honest with each other and talking, you know. And that was cool to see now, you know, if anything comes of that, because now we see afterwards that right. she's not a fan of that, a uh, fan of that decision that he makes. And honestly, that was the much better option. But technically, that probably wasn't the most logical one. No, no, it's it's, you know, it, in our eyes. Um, but of course, so Allison, I think, in the show is 15. Um, yeah, but that, obviously, the actress is not. Um, so when you're just looking at it from a view, you're like, okay, well, he did choose to marry his daughter's best friend, but at least in this case, his daughter's best friend is not 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is good, but yeah. still, um, I, I think that there is, yeah, the, and that's a, that's a, I think maybe valid criticism people are having of the show was why are they having to do this kind of age game where, you know, uh, characters who are acting like adults are still teenagers. It's authentic to his world um, and authentic, I would say, to actually the history that he based it off of. Um, and I, I'm just relieved that he didn't marry the the 10 or 12 year old um, yeah. or however old she is. But like, I think she's a little 12. child in the show. Like the, same. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. As, as long as that didn't happen. But again, like, you you talked about it. We get that moment of relief where you're thinking, oh, finally, something like genuine is happening between these characters. And he goes right around and stabs her, his own daughter in the back, essentially. Doesn't mm-hmm. tell her about his whole kind of relationship with Allison beforehand. And then definitely, you know, springs that upon her, not in private, but at a small council meeting in front of yeah. everyone. Yep. Um yeah, so you get the you get the Game of Thrones thing again, where none of these characters are completely good or completely bad. Um, yeah, it's I, there you go. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because like, while that was morally, ethically, and just simply the right decision, him doing that now, his relationship between his daughter is kind of skewed now, and now Corlys, who is a, as we find out, a very very powerful uh, person with a very powerful. Um, tribe at house. Uh, house house yeah um and that's gonna that's gonna cause some some turmoil i do want to ask you because i always love like thinking about this because some movies butcher it some tv shows butcher it of like do you think 
Corlys had enough reasons and enough and enough give to want to go to Damon and turn turn sides almost. You know what I mean? Like, was it a reasonable? Um, did he have a reasonable enough to be like, all right, I will now not support you anymore and go to the other side? You know what I mean? I always like to think about that. So here's the thing. I don't know if he's right. Um, like I I just don't. I think within the world he's in, yes. Um, and let me let me tell you why. First of all, he talks about it, and this is maneuver political maneuvering on his part. But he talks about this crab feeder and pirates raiding his ships, and it's not only going to affect him and his wealth, which he we learn is the wealthiest house on mm-hmm. Westeros, um, largely because he's built the shipping empire, but will also hurt the realm at large. And it's something that. I think Otto Hightower is actively ignoring as a power maneuver. You know, uh, Hightower is saying, okay, yeah, we'll pay you some money from the crown. The crown will pay you for your losses, but we'll throw some money at you, but we're not actually going to help get in the war and solve this situation. And I think Otto is advising Viserys, who is essentially at this point afraid to make a decision. He's afraid to pretty much do anything. To make the um, wrong decision, you think? Yeah, I think he's yeah. paralysis by analysis and just won't do anything, which is why Damon is residing in Dragonstone, even though he has no permission to be there, and is why some of these other things are happening as well. Um, but I, I think Corliss has has a point that this is an unresolved issue that's directly affecting him, and he's being outmaneuvered. So the enemy of your enemy is your friend. He supported Damon's claim in the first episode. Um, now he obviously kind of backed away from that, but he did initially support Damon's claim. And, you know, if Viserys isn't going to help you, and he's already looking weak on the throne right now, there's a lot of questions about his power and efficacy as a leader. Why not go to Damon and see what you can do, especially if Damon's going to use his dragon riders to take care of the crab feeder? Because yeah. if Damon take care of takes care of the crab feeder, Corliss is safe. Viserys hasn't shown any desire to actually make a move on him. Now he'll disrespect him by not doing the marriage that Corliss wants, but he hasn't. He's not shown any kind of backbone to where he'll kick Corliss out of the small council. Mm. And Damon gets to show the realm that he cares about them. So yeah. I think it's I think it's a very smart, calculated move. But again, it is a Game of Thrones universe show, so there is going to be some backstabbing going on. Absolutely. So I guarantee that this is not the last time this relationship comes up, and I don't think it's going to end well for anybody. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm surprised we've not seen someone die of a Game of Thrones show. Like, oh my gosh, how, you know, because we got the first episode of Game of Thrones, Ned Stark uh, is just. No, well, first season. I guess I guess that's it's true. It. It's the first season. I think you're that's condensing true. Game of Thrones. I am. It. There's so much but, of it. I mean, his his wife died in the first episode. Of course, we all knew that was going to happen as soon as she was introduced. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I which is also another a fun a fun but scary thing about this show. You can't Google anything mm. because as as soon as you go to look up something in any way you will then see a spoiler for the show because mm-hmm. they will tell you how the character died in what manner. So you can't Google anything. You can't Google pronunciations. You can't do any of that stuff, which I think yeah. is so fun because you're just like wrapped in paying attention because I know I'm not going to go back afterwards and look stuff up because I don't want the possibility of spoilers. Yeah. I, I think that's really fun. Yeah. Before, before we move on, do you think this next episode 
will be similar, or do you think it'll really start to pick up in action and and moving away from just the high council room, essentially? I think I think that we will expand more out of the red keep in this next episode. Um, I think that we will see some action from Damon on the crab feeder front. Um, and then I'm hoping that we get a perspective of a non of somebody not in the red keep. Um, I don't know if that'll be introducing another character, maybe fleshing out the crab feeder a little bit more, but I'd like to see conversations that aren't about a Targaryen or don't involve a Targaryen. Not saying that I'm tired of the Targaryens already, but like I'd like to see them expand the world a little bit. And I think mm-hmm. that the crab feeder is probably their chance to to do that, to, to take us beyond King's Landing. He looks sick too. He does uh, I'm excited look, for that. He looks terrifying, honestly. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we will move on. So that was the House of the Dragon conversation, but we're going to go to the Rings of Power next. Before that, we're going to take a quick little break here. Welcome back to What Do You Want to Watch? Right now, we're going to be talking about the new, the exciting, the Amazon Prime TV series, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. David, before we get into some individual thoughts, I just want to kind of put in context how consequential this is. So this show is the most audacious undertaking of television ever. And I, and I think you could say that I'm being hyperbolic, and I am not. So the first season alone costs an estimated $465 million. Jeez. Add on top of that the $250 million that Amazon paid for the rights, according to the Wall Street Journal. So that is, I think they estimated that it's like 5 million, over 5 million annual Prime subscriptions is the cost of this show. Um, something, something crazy like that. And I think they said like one, I don't, I don't remember what the number was. I'll have to look it up. But there is a significant amount of money being poured into this. Now, obviously, Amazon is a very wealthy company. It's only 0.15% of Amazon's overall worth is being spent on this show. So they're, I, they're not in danger of going bankrupt if this show fails. But that puts into terms how insanely large the show is. The, the House of the Dragon... Uh, first season, I believe, is costing $100 million to make plus $100 million of marketing as well. So if you think, and this uh, Rings of Power show is eight episodes versus House of the Dragons 10 as well. Um, so this is insane. Like, this, God, this is insane. Absolutely crazy. I have unfortunately seen the trailer against my will. I wanted to avoid it. However, they played the trailer before a movie I went to see this week. So For a TV nothing, show, wow. There's nothing I could do. It looks I it looks breathtaking. The show looks absolutely stunning. It it looks amazing. For, for our audience, Lord of the Rings, the trilogy is, is Nathan's favorite trilogy of all time. And he, yeah. he is a very he, he's read the books, he, he watches the extended editions. So this show is your hopes are high. Is that what you would say? This is the most anticipated media project of my life. Mm. Wow. And I don't, I don't think that I, – I don't think anything else has compared – well, okay, so I'll say this. The most, the most uh, anticipated television show of my life. Mm. Um, 
maybe Force Awakens was a bigger deal to me in in terms of scope because that was a new Star Wars movie that I never thought or, was going to happen. Or like Endgame, maybe stuff like that. Or maybe Endgame, but I don't even know about that. Like the, mm. I, it's difficult for me to put into words. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is my first love in terms of pop culture. It's the thing that I saw before I saw anything else. I remember I was, I think, four or five years old, sitting on the couch, watching the movies with my whole family. And you had we had the extended editions, which my dad still has, DVD format that looked like books. Um, they're each different colors. Uh, I believe they're green, red, and blue. And there's two discs because the extended editions are so big, they couldn't fit them on one DVD. So halfway through, you have to take it out and put it in part two. I remember this. I remember that experience very vividly. I remember watching that. And ever since then, I have I, I read the books. I have read The Silmarillion, which is the most difficult book I've ever read in my life. It's like written like a religious text. It's hard to understand. I've read The Hobbit multiple times. I've seen all The Hobbit movies multiple times. I've seen The Lord of the Rings movies more times than I can count. And so to be returning to this world is amazing and also the scariest thing ever. And that's what I want to get into now. Nate, yeah. Mm. Obviously, from my perspective, this is crazy. David, as a person who has seen these movies, but is not probably near the terms of fandom as I am, how are you feeling about this TV show right now, heading into it? Uh, I'm very excited. I um, grew up, I, I don't remember it being, like, for, for me, it was more of, like, Harry Potter and, and Star Wars, Indiana Jones were, like, the big ones. Ring of, uh, Lord of the Rings weren't nearly as big in our house. Um, so I remember seeing it every once in a while on TV. Uh, but then once I got to college, uh, I believe maybe last summer or two summers ago, uh, I watched one, two, three, probably within two days, just back to back to back, um, probably from start to end for the first time. You know, and that's, I remember like talking to you kind of the whole time and realizing like, wow, this incredible, honestly. Um, the fact that this was able to be put together on screen. So I think, I mean, I'm excited for it um, because I've not watched the trailer. I've avoided anything. I don't really know much, honestly. Um, but yeah, with with the money they spent and comes next and high expectation, which I think is natural. Uh, but also just to return to this to this world, I'm very excited. But. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think I'm nearly as excited as, as you are just because like you grew up on this, you know, this has been yes. your world, you know, yes. you know, it inside and out. And I, I think for me, for it to be, for me to be as excited as you are, I feel like it'd be like a, a Harry Potter show would have to like a legit, like high quality Harry Potter show would have to come out or something like that. Just in, in that sense. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my stance on that right now. Right. Um, I will say, so to explain the, the show setting, it is, the official title of the show is The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. However, it will not have much, if any, crossover with The Lord of the Rings in terms of characters. There will be a few that you will recognize, and they will only be elves, essentially, uh, aside from Isildur, who makes a appearance in The Return in not Return of the King, and The Fellowship of the Ring, and also in The Return of the King, if you watch Extended Editions. There's some other stuff. But makes an appearance um, is the man who slays Sauron, physical form like a thousand years before the events of lord of the rings so this show is set thousands of years before the events of the hobbit and the lord of the rings the characters that you will recognize are gladriel and elrond those are two elves they're 
um, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They're also in the Hobbit trilogy as well. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much going to be all new characters for most audiences. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, like you did say, and I do know this world very well, uh, but there are people who have studied. Tolkien was known for world building. That, that is the author of the books. Um, and so he developed entire languages for this fantasy world of Middle Earth. He developed entire histories, religious texts and stuff. So I don't know a whole lot. And I'm actually excited about that. I know some of the stuff that's probably going to happen in the show, but not a lot of it. Um, but I'm really excited to, to see where this goes. But with that comes nervousness. I am very scared Amazon will screw this up. Mm. I'm very scared. And it's not because I don't think Amazon has the capacity to make good content, but this is such a massive undertaking. There's never really been anything like this. This dwarfs Game of Thrones in terms of scale and production and also fans prior to. Game of Thrones was a show based on a book known by fantasy readers before it came out. There were, Game of Thrones was on the bestseller list. Lord of the Rings is one of the most popular books series of all time. The movies are one of the most critically acclaimed series of all time. And the Hobbit movies that came out most recently were not that well received by fans or critics. And I'm very worried about what this is going to happen. And I will mm -hmm. tell you already that the fan base is in part toxic and ready to just hate this show without even mm. watching it. It's like Star Wars and Marvel. Anything new comes out, you're disrespecting the source material. Um, to the people that complain and say that it's not what Tolkien would have wanted, Tolkien's family hated the Lord of the Rings movies and we all love those. Um, so if it, I, I don't know, I don't put much stock in that, but I am very nervous about this. Um, mm. But yeah. Overcoming that nervousness is knowing that they spent nearly $500 million on one season of television and my favorite based on the work of my favorite author and favorite film series ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, according to, according to IMDb, it's slated for five seasons. Um, now uh, that could change that. That may not be, that may be a hope, you know, I don't know how set in stone that is, but that's kind of what IMDb is saying. I want to ask you this kind of fun question real quick. Do you think, uh, who, who, who has created the, the, the more magical, the, the more impactful, the better worlds? And this may be an easy answer for you. R.R. Martin or R.R. Tolkien? Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is no contest. Um, and I think R.R. Martin would even admit this. Uh, first of all, there is no Game of Thrones without Lord of the Rings. Um, now, uh, Martin has been very open in what inspires him. And I think every fantasy writer that has written anything after Tolkien published his novels will admit that they are in essence borrowing, copying, taking from his novels. Okay. He has created essentially the quote unquote Bible for fantasy storytelling for modern fantasy storytelling. And mm -hmm. there's nothing that anybody can do to kind of get away from that. Everything has an element of one of his stories and R. Martin's kind of goal with, Game of Thrones, at least the way that he said it and the way that I've read it, is that it is an expansion of essentially politics. So he reads Lord of the Rings and thinks about when Aragorn takes over at the end of Return of the King, what are his tax policies? What are the people maneuvering around in his kingdom? What does everybody think? Whereas Tolkien 
was focused much more on the big picture stuff because these stories were originally created as as insane as this sounds, bedtime stories for his children. That is how the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and everything to do with Middle Earth came about. Bedtime stories for his children that he then wrote down and created languages for. And he's one, he's one of the greatest storytellers to ever live. So I think that it is unfair if you put any any author, anybody up against his writing and say, mm. okay, look, eh, did they create a better world? Nobody is better at world building. People are probably better at writing succinct stories. Actually, they're definitely better at that. Uh, Tolkien is not succinct. He is very detailed. And Lord of the Rings is not an easy read. The Hobbit is. I think The Hobbit is much more of a popular read novel. The Lord of the Rings are not easy to read. The Silmarillion is absolutely not easy to read. Um, it's very difficult to understand, but nobody is better at world building than him. So, so that I was an easy answer. He's, he's very clearly on top, but I'm glad that you were able to ask that question because I was able to talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I didn't know that. One, I didn't know. Actually, I didn't even know the, 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 the language, all this like deep stuff he'd written for it, but I also didn't know that so many fantasy writers reference Tolkien's Lord of the Rings oh, trilogy. Yeah. It, it, um, it is the that's, same That's cool. Thing. That's really cool. It, it, to a lesser extent, it's like whenever Star Wars came out, science fiction for a long time was just Star Wars. Mm. Um, and you can see elements of that. But uh, I, And I think one, some of our friends have noticed this as well. People that watch Lord of the Rings later on in life will then see Lord of the Rings in the other stories. Um, mm. because that, that is just what writers do. They borrow from other great writers. That, that's what people do. It's not a thing to be ashamed of, but if you're giving due respect. And I think that any, to, any sort of fantasy story created after the Lord of the Rings trilogy came out and specifically actually The Hobbit came out is borrowing from that format. And, mm. and you can see it everywhere. You can see it in Harry Potter. You can even see it in Star Wars. You you can see it in anything you look for. You can see it in Game of Thrones, um, specifically, uh, you know George R George R R Martin. Okay, I mean look at his name. That's J R R Tolkien. George. R. I was Martin. curious. I'm like that. Interesting. That's kind of similar. Everybody is taking from Tolkien, and that's not to say that they are all like stealing and it's shameful what they're doing because it, it's impossible not to borrow. Mm -hmm. um, from such a big influence like him. So everybody is taking from Tolkien. That's cool. No, I'm glad you're able to talk about that because I, I even myself learned a lot. So definitely yeah. probably the listeners did. So that's cool. Taking you to school. Come on. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm really excited for this show. Uh, the first two episodes will drop Thursday at 8. Um, and then from then on, they will be dropping at midnight on Fridays. Um, so... Uh, midnight on actually maybe 11 I don't I don't remember I think it is I think it is midnight on Fridays East Coast time so maybe 11 o'clock on Thursdays Central time mm -hmm. um, they're not doing the Disney Plus thing things will not drop here at 2 a.m. so they drop midnight on the Pacific time zone I don't Plus. think they're doing that I'm excited to see how big the audience is for this show I have a sense um, I don't know if it'll be bigger initially than House of the Dragon. Um, I, I would expect so just because I think there's more Amazon Prime subscribers. I, mm -hmm. Obviously, I think there's more of that than HBO Max. 
Um, but I don't know if the audience is built in as big because there's been a long gap and um, Lord of the Rings is not, I don't want to say completely faded because it hasn't from the public consciousness, but is not near as upfront in the public consciousness as Game of Thrones was. Um, and the Hobbit movies were, were kind of maligned as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I'd be excited, but I would expect personally, I think that it'll probably get higher ratings than House of the Dragon. Mm. Um, just because it's so big. And also, I've seen advertisements everywhere. I think yeah. everybody knows this show's coming out, even people that don't care at all. Yeah. So. No, yeah, I, I, I actually just saw something. The second episode of House of the Dragon had 10.2 million viewers. So that, that was pretty, that's, which honestly surprised me because I feel like anything with media, whether it's in one, even within a video or multiple episodes, you see a high peak. And then naturally you see a decline, but for them episode two to go up a little bit, that's like wow, that that's impressive that's that you're able to hold that. So yeah, I'm curious to see what the Lord of the Rings uh, show will, will pull. I don't think people will give this show a chance if the first two episodes are bad. Mm. Um, if the if the first two episodes are not kind of stellar smash successes, there will obviously be a faithful audience like myself that will continue to watch. But I think that the general public will probably be out because House of the Dragon is there. You know, they I, I don't know if it's bad. For, I think it's probably bad for both shows that they're coming out so close together um, because you're I did really, an I, overload of fantasy stories at once. Um, and so people will probably choose their favorite mm-hmm. and keep watching that rather than trying to keep up with both at the same time, especially during, you know, we're entering into the fall football season and there will be more movies coming out. Uh, August is kind of dead as far as film right now. So I, I, there's going to be a lot more things in front of people's faces. So I think that both of these shows will be siphoning off viewership from each other, which is, I, I, I think it's just a weird choice. I am surprised like that one that didn't even like talk about this, like why HBO and Amazon didn't, you know, why, why of all the time, all the years, right. You have to do this. Why drop it literally at the exact same time. That's weird to yeah. me. Yeah. I feel like it can't be I good for like either. Somebody, of them. I feel like somebody should have captured, you know, if I'm, if I'm a showrunner, which obviously if you have stuff ready, you have it ready to go and you put it out when it's ready. But that having a show slate run from like mid June or the end of June to, to early August, especially ones that only have eight to 10 episodes, seems like the perfect time because nobody's watching anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, baseball isn't a national sport anymore. Golf is in a lull. The NBA playoffs are over. Nobody's really paying attention to the NFL. There's no sports market. So why not? You, you drop it then. I mean, Stranger Things, I guess, did that. But when if you're doing weekly stuff, Stranger Things will, yes, overtake you for one week. But then it will fall and you'll yeah. keep going. So I, I don't know. I'm excited for these first two episodes. If they're really bad and Amazon has butchered this, I will be in shambles. And if they're really good, I will not be shutting up about it. So either way, you're going to hear from me. I guarantee that. Yeah, I, obviously. I mean, I hope it's good. One, just because I want to see good TV, but also I don't want to see Nene upset. Oh, yeah, I will be I will be down. I, I will be just sad if it's bad. I, I think it'll be good. I, I really do. Just, I know you're worried. You're nervous, like a Chiefs playoff win, but like four years ago, it'll happen. It'll be good. There's a lot this of money is, into this, and I, I think they know know what this means to millions and millions of people. So I, I do think that they were very careful with this. 
Yeah, this is essentially, that's a great analogy you just put. This is like waiting for a Chiefs playoff game for me. Like, I'm extremely nervous that they're going to mess it up like the Chiefs used to mess it up all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that that doesn't happen. I guess we'll find out. Come on, Thursday, it's coming we'll... up. It is coming up. All right, we are going to take one more quick break. That was us discussing the Rings of Power. We're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to talk about our best watches of the last week. All right. So we've been talking about TV a lot, been talking about football a lot on this podcast. Haven't really talked about movies a lot, but we both are still watching a lot of movies. So I had this idea that that we would recap a movie that we've seen for the first time that was the best one of this past week. Um, doesn't have to be a new movie in theaters or anything like that, but something we saw for the first time this week that we thought was really good. David, what do you got? Well, I actually want to bounce back. I have two. And if, if you have one that you know for sure, I might, based on what yours is, choose between the two because I, I don't know yet. Okay, and they're two I, very different movies. I do have one that I know for sure. Um, so I can go first. Okay. okay. So mine. My the movie that I saw that I liked the most in this past week that was a first watch for me was the new A24 horror slash whodunit bodies bodies bodies. Uh, this is a movie that I watched actually shortly after we recorded this podcast. We recorded it on Tuesdays and I went and watched it immediately afterwards. Shout out Marcus Theaters for five dollar Tuesdays. Um, and this was just this was everything that I wanted this movie to be. So the premise of this movie is a bunch of rich kind of essentially trust fund kids get together and plan a quote unquote hurricane party at one of the kids remote family mansions. Actually Pete, the Pete Davidson's character, it's his family's mansion. Um, And they sit down to play this party game called bodies, 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 which for those of you that are younger, it's essentially kind of like mafia um, something else like that uh, where, you know, it's, there's one person named the killer in the group and they go around and they turn the lights off. You go around and they tag someone in the dark and that person has to pretend to be dead. And then you're trying to vote and figure out who the killer is essentially. Um, well, everything goes wrong whenever someone actually dies <laughs> while they're playing this game. And then the rest of the time is these characters trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, this movie's hilarious. It's not scary. It, 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 there are horror elements. There's some jump scare moments, but it is mainly a a black comedy, I would say, and it is hilarious. There are some really funny line readings. The person I want to point out the most is Rachel Sinat, who plays Alice in this. She's also in the movie that I really like and that I highly recommend people watch. It's Shiva Baby or Shiva Baby on um, HBO Max. She is like the perfect caricature of a rich. Um, kind of liberal East Coast elitist girl who has her own podcast, which I think is funny. She talks about how hard her her podcast is to record and how much work she puts into it, which I know David <laughs> and I can relate to. Um, but also, like, at one point she says that a person couldn't be the killer because they are a Libra moon, and that's not in their nature, which was just absolutely hilarious. She also uses upper middle class as an insult, um, at one point in this movie, I don't know, this is just fun. Um, some people are not liking it because they see it as a critique of Gen Z culture 
and kind of the slang and vernacular and use of TikTok and and the political wokeness that often comes with people uh, in Gen Z. However, I see it as a critique and a satirization of a certain group of people in Gen Z, which are rich people who want to pretend they're oppressed. Mm. Um, And I think that the movie is very effective in, in that critique. Um, and, and it's nuanced as well at many points, but overall, it's just funny. The weakest link for this movie for me is honestly Pete Davidson. Uh, I'm kind of over Pete Davidson at this point. I, I think I've had Team enough Kanye. of his stuff. He's also trying to be a jerk. Um, I don't want, I'm not associating with whatever David just, the Team Kanye <laughs> thing. I am not on Team Kanye. <laughs> um, but I think that this film, well, it's a small cast. There's like seven or eight people in it. Um, it's, you know, compact. It only takes place in this one mansion over this one night, but it's really well written. The camera work is superb and it's funny. Um, and a lot of people are saying it's this generation's version of Scream. I don't know if it rises to that level. I think it's too early to tell. Um, and Scream is a very, very good movie. Um, mm. So that's that's a high bar to reach anyway. But I thoroughly enjoyed this. And whenever this comes out on streaming, I will be watching it again as soon as that happens. Yeah, I, uh, I've not seen this. Uh, only only really anything I've seen of this was I believe when we were seeing in theaters to see Nope, I saw the trailer for this. And when I first saw it, right, I didn't know the context of the movie. That initially I thought, I was like, that's just kind of cringe. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, I, this doesn't look like, it's very good, but now kind of explaining you've seen it and like, it's supposed to be a comedy. It's supposed to be pointing out some of these things. Like that's it's intent. Now I'm more like, ah, and, and just simply it has a pretty highly rated high, high, high rating. Sorry, excuse me. Um, so, you know, I probably won't pay for it in theaters. Probably won't rent it when it comes out on streaming service, probably day of week of, I'll definitely probably watch it because well, one, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, suggest it and I trust your opinion on movies, but, Seems like it's doing pretty well. So, I think the best pitch I can give, especially for young people, is this is a movie written about young people that understands them and in a way cares about them. I think a lot of times, especially now, you have older writers trying to write teenagers and Gen Z people, people our age, and they just completely fail. It just doesn't seem authentic. You're like, I, I don't recognize any of these people in this movie. I would never meet this person. But the people that are in this movie, you're like, oh, yeah, I met four of I, like four of these people I met in college. Like, I know all of them. Mm. Um, they're obviously like over exaggerations of a, a lot of the features of those characters. But it's a movie that actually understands the culture that it is trying to commentate on, which I think is important because a lot of times I feel like there's movies made about Gen Z, especially now, that do not understand teenagers at all. Shows and movies that don't do that. And it really just turns you off. But I think that this one does, and it makes sense. So, mm. that's cool. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I I had a couple ideas of what you choose, and that was one of them. But you know, that's cool. You know, what? It'll probably be another month or two before it comes out on the streaming service. Yeah. Because um, if also, people want to watch it, they're gonna have to go in theaters, correct? At right now, yes. But this is an A twenty four movie. Um, so A twenty four production house that's become kind of famous for having quote-unquote indie darlings, the end of the 2010s and then early 2020s. Um, and that means it's, it's a smaller movie in terms of release. So my theater actually didn't get it the first weekend that it was released. 
it really only got released in most major cities, but I think it made enough money that they opened it in more theaters. But they are also shrinking the number of theaters. So if you, unless you live close to a larger market, you may not be able to find this yet. Mm-hmm. So probably have to wait until it, it comes out on a streaming service. And I would, I would expect that to be probably a month to two months. It kind of happens faster now than it used to. So I would expect probably like a month or so. Okay, cool. That's cool. David, what do you got? All right. Um, made my decision and uh, I'm going to choose a Casino. Martin Scorsese uh, directed movie uh, released in 1995. Uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Sharon Stone, James Woods, Kevin Pollack. A lot of, lot of guys and girl, I guess. Sorry. Uh, a lot of good actors. Um, and yeah, this, uh, I, I've heard a lot about this movie. Wanted to Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro film, but so it's kind of the re- good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the reason I uh, have been waiting though, because it's just a hair under three hours long and that kind of, that consumes a lot of your a day. So you obviously has to have the right time to be able to sit down and watch a three hour movie. And mm-hmm. I finally had that time and I, and I watched it and it was really, really good. Uh, I, I gave, well, I won't give my rating. You know, so no one's influenced actually, but uh, it's a it is a pretty highly rated movie. Uh, Sharon Stone uh, was nominated for an Oscar for this, uh, and she does a very very good job, um, worthy of that nomination for sure. Kind of, kind of the idea of this is it takes place in the early 1970s, and uh, Robert De Niro is a low level mobster, Sam Ace Rothstein, and uh, his bosses kind of kind of tell him to go over to Las Vegas uh, and begin to head the Tangiers Casino uh, and kind of run that. Um, and at first he's really successful. And, uh, you know, as, as that happens, as, as he begins to run that stuff, you know, kind of starts to happen. And that's kind of all I'll say with that. I know it came out in 1995, but I mean, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to kind of tell you what, how, tell you what happens in the movie, but it's really good. Um, the costume budget for this movie was mil- a million dollars. And oh uh, Robert De Niro, let's see, I have it written down. He had over 70 different suits uh, for this movie, and Sharon Stone had over 40 different um, dresses uh, and outfits. And kind of a fun side note, I read that Martin Scorsese said and allowed both of them to keep all 70 and all 40 of their outfits for themselves personally. Wow. That's kind of hype. But yeah, dude, every time that was like my review of Letterboxd in this movie was like every scene, Robert De Niro is just popping off. And um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's if you think about it, it's kind of your classic like 90s Robert De Niro movie where he's just super cool uh, and he's top dog. No one messes with him. And he, he runs this casino and and Joe Pesci's crazy in this movie. Uh, of course he is. Yeah. Insane. And um, and they are. They, they, they aren't brothers by blood, but they call each other brothers, known each other for 25, 30 years. Um, and you kind of start to see their relationship through that movie. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it, that, I think one way I can tell, like, if I, if I enjoyed it, if I thought it's a good movie is like, if I don't realize it's been three hours, right? Some movies that are long, you're like, it's just a drag, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think even despite this being a three hour runtime, I never felt besides maybe one or two moments, I felt like I was pretty involved in the movie, uh, which is always a good sign for me. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's been my favorite movie I watched this week. Uh, the other one I watched was Fantastic Mr. Fox, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I This is this movie is literally at the top of my list of shame. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's it's a movie that I I wanted to see for a while and I don't know it's the same thing where you you, you kind of put it off put it off and then it's not on the streaming service that you have so you debate whether you want to pay for it or not and I, I should probably just pull the trigger and watch it I've heard there's some people that argued this is actually better than Goodfellas um this is the superior the superior De Niro Scorsese gangster film um david i want to ask that question because you have seen goodfellas correct yes long time Uh, ago but i do remember do you think the casino is better than goodfellas Ooh, that's a tall claim um i will say i think it's close because i do think this is i do think this is very it's just such a high quality film to me um but I don't know. I don't know if it if it tops Goodfellas. I think that gives the movie enough respect, though. If I say it's close, I won't. Right. I won't if, go any if, farther. If it's even in the conversation with Goodfellas, that just tells you all you need to know about how good this movie is. Yeah. Um, and it's for those wondering, it is on Peacock, and I don't even pay for a subscription. Uh, and so so if if you simply download the app and have and create an account, you should be able just to watch this for free. Are there ads? No. Oh, okay. So, dude, Peacock's clutch. So, I've watched three or four movies now, and they have like 180 seconds of ads, and it plays the entire movie all the way through. So it just gets all the ads out in the beginning. Yeah. So I go get, like get a drink or a snack while the ads are playing, and then the entire movie plays. Hey, I guess I gotta download Peacock. I thought that I the reason I've been avoiding downloading Peacock for free is because I thought I'm I hate I cannot anymore yeah. do movies where there's ads in the middle. I just can't. Yeah, it throws you off. Can't do it. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I've watched a bunch. I've watched, I mean, you've seen my letterbox. Those last three or four movies I've watched have been Peacock. Cause it's like, there's a bunch I need to see. And yeah, it's like the ads get all taken out first and then I can okay. watch the whole movie. All right. Well, yeah. shoot, frick. I guess I need to download Peacock. Just one last question before we go. Why were you going to, what was the movie that I watched that you were going to make you recommend Fantastic Mr. Fox over? I, I'm just trying to figure that out over what I. No, there wasn't like recommending. there wasn't going to be a one or the other. Like if obviously Fantastic Mr. Fox and Casino are two different movies. So like if you would have chosen a super heavy movie, I might have chosen the more lighter of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. The only one I ever thought, only other one I thought you were going to mention was the uh, Sylvester Stallone one you just watched that you. Oh, Cliffhanger. Rated yeah. somewhat high and you liked it. So and people should go watch Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger's lit. That's that was just fun. That was just a fun, fun action movie. I don't know. It was dumb. Cool. John Lithgow was good. Sylvester Stallone's biceps were really good. Um, <laughs> but his character's name was Gabe. Why did Sylvester nice. Stallone play a character named Gabe? That just doesn't seem right to me. But yeah, he doesn't seem as cool. You no, know? that's just yeah. There's no cool way to yell Gabe. Of course, no. for most of the movie, he actually has a fake name. Um, because they don't want to let the bad guys know his real name, so they I, they call him I think they just call him Walker because that's his last name. Nice. Um, so that, Walker is cool. Walker is much cooler. Um, Gabe is not. Yeah. Uh, no offense to the Gabes out there, it's just not a real action star name, uh, yeah. especially Sylvester Stallone. So sorry, but anyway, that aside, aside, David, close out this episode. Yeah. Hey, man, this has been What Do You Want to Watch, episode 32. We've kind of recapped a lot. House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, and then kind of our favorite watches from last week. Thank you all for listening. It's been a blast. We will see you all later. Bye.